Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast, show number 285, where we interview JL Collins and talk about losing money in real estate. My lawyer, Wayne, pointed out that there was no real practical way to enforce that because of the costs of litigation that it would take. So uh, when YP said, you don't like it, sue me, I, he knew my hands were tied. Well, <laughs> when Wayne was saying to me, you know, JL, you have to close. I mean, the law says that when essentially it's done and you're just down to a checklist, you have to close. You can't keep canceling these these, these closings like you're doing. And you can imagine what I said to Wayne. I said, let him sue me. <laughs> hello, hello, hello. My name is Mindy Jensen. And with me, as always, is my smart cookie co-host, Scott Trench. Oh, I'll take that. That's a pretty crummy introduction, but I guess it'll work for today. <laughs> Scott and I are here to make financial independence less scary, less just for somebody else, to introduce you to every money story, even the ones that cause you to lose money in real estate, because we truly believe financial freedom is attainable for everyone, no matter when or where you're starting or what kind of mistakes you make in the beginning. That's right. Whether you want to retire early and travel the world, go on to make big time investments in assets like real estate, avoid losing money in real estate by making smart decisions or start your own business, we'll help you reach your financial goals and get money out of the way so you can launch yourself towards those dreams. Today, we have three-time guest J.L. Collins joining us again. And he is going to talk not about the stock market, which is what he is known for, but he's going to instead talk about real estate and uh, his successes, Scott. Uh, well, well, the success is, is he got an education in real estate investing <laughs> based on this. No, I, I, what we're going to hear today is, you know, it, we're, we're going back to 1979 when inflation's looming, the economy is looking fairly bleak and the outlook is eerily similar to what I think a lot of folks are worried about in today's economy here in 2022 and about how a tremendous amount of money was lost on a condo um, purchase that was intended to be a home and investment. And, you know, the, there's there's losses at every step of the journey um, all the way through a, a long hold period. And I think there's a lot of information to learn from this. It was a really fun time. Um, JL Collins is really great to talk about it with a, a sense of humor looking back, but you can imagine how scary and terrible that was um, going back. And I think there's a lot of lessons that are really important to learn from. Yeah, absolutely. This is a great retelling of a story that is actually, I'm sure, much worse to have lived through. And, you know, 40 years of hindsight makes it a lot easier to retell the story. The story we talk about today is uh, fully documented in J.L. Collins' new book titled how I Lost Money in Real Estate Before It Was Fashionable, A Cautionary Tale. Uh, I had a chance to pre-read this book. I thought it was phenomenal. It's a short, quick read. It's very well illustrated. It's a very powerful message, and it, goes, it gives all of the details and the specific numbers and the timeline behind some of the things we'll talk about today. Um, you can buy that book on Amazon, uh, on his website, which we'll link to in the show notes. And at the show, and, and those show notes, will, again, will be found at biggerpockets.com slash moneyshow285. Becoming a Navy Federal Credit Union member could help you earn more and save more. Take advantage of competitive rates with their certificate options or start saving for that next big money milestone with a low minimum deposit. Add money at any time 
and watch your savings grow. Thanks to flexible terms, you can use Navy Federal's savings options for all kinds of goals, short or long-term. Considering a big home improvement project, maybe a live-in flip, or feeling ready to consolidate some of that high-interest credit card debt, you could borrow up to 100% of your home's equity with a fixed-rate home equity loan with zero closing costs, or easily borrow as you go with a home equity line of credit. Both options could help make life's big expenses much more manageable. To learn more, visit NavyFederal.org. At Navy Federal, members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, equal housing lender. Membership required. Terms and conditions apply. Loans subject to approval. The dream of owning a vacation home can be daunting. From finding the best guests, to the maintenance, to organizing the cleaners after every guest day. With Vacasa, they make that dream into a reality. As a full-service vacation home management company with vacation homes in key destinations across the U.S., they know a thing about how to make owning a vacation home easy and profitable. On top of proactive property maintenance visits by professional local teams, a hospitality-driven booking platform, and around-the-clock support, Vacasa earns homeowners an average of 20% more revenue from their vacation homes. Vacasa is always thinking of ways to simplify the vacation homeowning experience by putting your home to work for you. If you're looking to make more from your vacation home, work with the reliable property manager, and finally have peace of mind, partner with Vacasa at vacasa.com slash biggerpockets. That's vacasa.com slash biggerpockets. When it comes to your retirement, let me guess, you're making contributions, maxing out your accounts every month, but then your money just sits in stocks or mutual funds or bonds. What if you could do more with your retirement funds? What if you could invest tax-free or tax-deferred in real estate projects like single or multifamily rentals, commercial real estate, Airbnbs, syndications, and even land? Well, with a self-directed IRA Club account, you can. And with IRA Club, you can invest in it all. Real estate, stocks, private placements, and more. Plus, IRA Club accounts are fully administered, so they take care of the paperwork while you focus on investing. Stop letting deals pass you by. Unlock the full potential of your retirement funds with IRA Club. Head to iraclub.com slash biggerpockets to book a call with our IRA specialists today and receive a free account your first year using promo code biggerpockets. That's iraclub.com slash biggerpockets with promo code biggerpockets. Okay, you have listened to this show before, then you have heard our guest on episode 20, on episode 116, and now back again for the third time, making up now 1% of our guests that we have had, Jim Collins, JL Collins from The Simple Path to Wealth, from JL Collins NH. What else do you do? From Chautauqua. What else do you do, Jim? Welcome back to the show, Jim. Tell us all your things. Give us your resume. We only have an hour, so don't give us like the whole thing. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, jlcollinsnh.com is the, is the blog. You can go there, and from there, I'm on Twitter and Facebook, and uh, I've got two books out, The Simple Path to Wealth, which was the first one that I published in 2016, and and then uh, last fall, I just brought out the second one, which is How I Lost Money in Real Estate Before It Was Fashionable, and uh, yeah. and then The Chautauqua, hard path to wealth. Yeah, Chautauqua, you mentioned you've been to Chautauqua. And uh, that's our, our annual event where we take small groups of people out to some cool place for cool conversations in a cool environment. And that is finally returning for 2022 uh, after two years of COVID-related uh, uh, hiatus, I guess is the word. Yeah. 
So you're all over the board. Where are you right now? Because it looks like you're in a hotel room, Jim. Well, you're just I'm tracing around the world. In, yeah, I'm almost <laughs> always in hotel rooms. We're we're nomadic. So this particular hotel room is in St. George, Utah, which is in the Ooh. southwest corner of uh, of Utah. Beautiful area. Awesome. Well, t- today I think we were hoping to learn more about how you did lose lose money in in, in real estate and um, the the full details behind that. And I think that's it's wait, time. wait, wait, wait. What, what this is, is bigger pockets. We talk about making money in real estate. You can't lose money in real estate, right, Jim? Oh, <laughs> I, I did. <laughs> and in my experience, it's surprisingly easy. All it takes is is being naive and unaware. Which, by the way, I applaud you at Bigger Pockets for trying to correct in in investors, but uh, you were not around when I was making this series of tragic errors. Yeah, thanks, Josh Dorkin, for not foreseeing the future and being there when Jim needed you. I know. Okay, so let's set the stage. What year are we talking about? So we would be talking about 1979. <gasps> Oh, is this the um, beginning of... Tough year. Yeah, very tough year. And isn't this the beginning of um, really crazy interest rates? Well, it wasn't the beginning of crazy interest rates. It was kind of the middle of crazy interest rates. It was towards the end of uh, a decade's worth of stagflation, which was the hallmark of the 1970s. I think we finally broke the back of that in around 1982, if my memory serves me. By the way, that's one of the reasons that that this particular inflationary environment that we're entering has me me nervous. It it just seems very familiar somehow. Hmm. Yeah, I just typed that into the the notes that Scott and I have. I'm like, stagflation? Hmm, that sounds very familiar over the last 20 years. Yeah, well, yeah. I, I don't think we've had anything like it over the last 20 years. But stagflation was a period of a stagnant economy, which so far, fortunately, we don't have, and high inflation, which at the moment we do have. Oh, oh, I thought stagnant, like there was no inflation. Like we have had oh, such low no, no. interest rates and slow. Okay, yeah, okay. See, I'm, da- I'm dating myself, and thank you for, <laughs> for pointing that out. But but just for, for our audience, stagflation was a term coined in the 1970s to describe the economic environment, which is, I say, lasted for about a decade, where you had very high inflation rates in a very stagnant economy. And as you point out, for the last 20, actually probably closer to 40 years now, we've had very low inflation and and declining interest rates. So a totally different kind of environment. Right now, we have high inflation, which has kind of sprung on the scene in the last year or so. And Fortunately, we have a robust economy still. Awesome. So, so what what were your kind of? That, I think that's great setting the stage from an economic point of view. But what were your? How do we set the stage from a personal point of view? What got you into this first investment, and what, what were your life circumstances at the time? Yeah. So I was obviously a, a much younger man at the time. I was in the first few years of my professional career, and I was doing pretty well. And I had a nice little apartment where the rent was cheap and I was perfectly happy. But everybody uh, in the world at the time was saying, you have to buy real estate, you have to buy real estate, you have to buy real estate. And because I was young and naive, I thought, well, I don't particularly want to buy real estate, but I guess I'd better buy real estate. 
And because I had zero interest in, in actually doing this, uh, what it took was my old college roommate who lived in Chicago at the time, uh, who was very eager to buy himself. And he was out, out diligently looking and he found this building. There was an old courtyard building built in probably the early 1900s, 1910, 1920, something like that. And the concept was they were gutting this building, this three-story building, and you were going to have this charming old building with brand new apartments in it. And that kind of appealed to me, and that appealed to my buddy Steve. And so my first mistake was I figured, well, you know, Steve's done all the legwork. Why should I go and, and do any due diligence on this? I'll just follow in his footsteps and, and buy a condo in the same building. So so how... how what what happens next? Did it work out? <laughs> yeah, what, if, yes, from episode two hundred and eighty-five, everything was great. Yeah, if, they, if it had worked out, then then I wouldn't have there wouldn't have been a book in it for me, which is the silver lining I had to wait about forty years for. By the way, uh, yeah, no, it, it it really didn't work out very well, and and. Uh, uh, you know, Steve. Steve's father was a banker, and he was also uh, investing in real estate at the time, and eager to see his son and, by extension, uh, his son's buddy uh, uh, benefit from from uh, real estate, which, of course, as we all know, can only go up. And uh, but you know n what? None of us knew at the time was the Chicago real estate market was about to collapse. So, so, so your plan going in was, hey, this building's going to get fixed up. My buddy's kind of interested in it and tell me all these great things. I'm going to buy it. Things are going to go up and I'm going to make, make my, do you have a timeline? Did you have any expectations around it or, or, or really anything beyond I'm going to buy it and it's going to go up? Or what was the, what was the framework you're approaching the problem from? Well, the fra the framework was a, a that that again the the advice that went unchecked on my part, and again, first mistake was you should definitely own real estate. Renting is not a good thing to do, and if anybody who reads the book and looks at the math in it, we'll see that at least in in this case, renting was absolutely the thing I sh I should have continued to do. But in the it would have been in January February, and it's testing my memory both from the time I wrote the book uh, last year and, and, of course, 40 years ago. But early in 1979, uh, my buddy Steve had actually put in a contract to buy his condo. And I followed suit and, and put in a contract to, to buy one in the same building. Uh, the idea was, because the building was being gutted, it would take about six months for these things to be finished. So we'd be closing and moving in sometime around, theoretically, sometime around August 1st. Uh, I could go into a monologue and, and describe this, the sequence if, if you want me to, but I'm not, I'm not sure that's best for the interview, but I'll leave that up to you as, as we, if you want me to do that or just go step by step. I'm going to look into my crystal ball and say they didn't meet the August 1st deadline, <laughs> did they, Jim? Well, you, your your crystal ball is flawless, as it turns out. You you might so, have even, you might have even read the book, which which might might have might have given your crystal ball a little polish. Not uh, only have I read the book, I've lived this story too. Yeah, well, there you go. So, <laughs> yes, you're correct. They didn't they didn't meet the August first deadline. And silly me, I had I had heard at that point the advice that if. You're involved in building something or doing a major renovation. You spent a lot of time going to the site and checking it out. 
But again, I was impossibly naive, which, by the way, is the title of one of the chapters. I was impossibly naive, and I figured, why am I going to go to the site? I don't know anything about doing, uh, renovating a condo. You know, I, I'm a busy guy, so I didn't go to the site. I figured these are competent people; they would get it done. Um, bad, thing to, <laughs> bad, yeah, right. Bad thing to figure out <laughs> at the time. But I'm sorry, I'm not laughing at you. There. Wow, I'm laughing at. I've been there. You're I've laughing there. with me, are you? <laughs> I'm laughing with you. <laughs> well, I certainly deserve to be laughed at. I mean, there's no... No, it was the phrase, these are competent people. Yeah, right. Well, yeah, right. <laughs> which which is a laughable thing to say. And it was an even more laughable thing to believe. But anyway, that's well, that was the assumption that I made. So there's another mistake up front. Uh, and along about the middle of July, I finally occurred to me, oh, you know, this, this condo that I bought should be about done. <laughs> and maybe I, maybe I should go over and see how wonderful it looks. <laughs> and, uh, so I did, and it looked exactly the same as it did in, in February. I mean, not, not, it hadn't been touched, not a, not a mode of dust had been moved. And it had, it was gutted. I mean, it was as it had been when I had first seen it. It was gutted uh, to the to the uh, what do you call it? the lath in the old uh, in the old buildings, right? And I I mean, I was horrified because, of course, I I'd given notice at my my apartment that I was, and I and I thought I was being so clever because instead of saying I'm I'm moving out on August first which, you know, would have been really silly. I said September 1st. I thought giving myself that extra month was very clever. Well, now I'm looking at a place that is, you know, two weeks from when theoretically it's done and I'm moving in and closing, and it hasn't even been started. And uh, so I was <laughs> I was more than a little, little uh, outraged and... Uh, I was down in, uh, I, I used his initials to protect his amenity, although why I do that, I don't know. But YP or his initials, I was down in his office uh, with my fists on his desk, leaning over and and threatening to climb down his throat. And uh, he was assuring me, of course, that everything would be done by August 1st, which even <laughs> even I wasn't naive enough, to, naive enough to believe. But what's interesting is what he had been doing. And you have to understand, at the time, the real estate market in Chicago had been red hot, and kind of, kind of like we're seeing in the real estate market today, I would say, and and that the prices of properties were going up dramatically, even within month over month. So what YP was doing is he wasn't even trying to finish these apartments that he'd sold. And there were fifty-two, I think, in the building. So he'd sell them, he'd collect the down payments, right? And then he'd just sit on them. And when the outraged owners would come storming into his office like I did, what he would say is, well, you know, why don't I just give you your money back? And a lot of people who were smarter than me said, yes, I want my money back. And then he'd re he'd refund the deposit and he simply turned the, the unit around and resell it for another 15%. Well, this was wonderful as long as the real estate market kept cranking its way up. 
But on that July day, what YP, neither YP or I realized is the Chicago real estate market, particularly the condo market, and condos seemed to get hit hardest first when, when the market turned sour, sour uh, was in the process of, of plummeting. And so he said, well, why don't I give you your money back? And I said, <laughs> another mistake I made, no, I don't want my money. I want I want the condo, right? I, I, I want to live in this place. And uh, I, you know, I so wish I'd said, yeah, give me my money back because within a month or maybe six weeks, all those apartments that he'd been able to successfully turn over and resell over and over again, suddenly that merry-go-round stopped. And he wound up with a building that was half empty and at that point unsellable. And of course, there's no way he's giving me my money back at that point. And a month, six weeks later, I was demanding my money back. And he was not only refusing, but he simply didn't have the capability to pay it back. And then things got really ugly because now he can't meet his commitments to the bank. And now he has to try to actually finish these units so he can close on them and get the balance of the money to satisfy to satisfy the bank. And, and of course, as you pointed out to me, and I should have recognized, I'm not dealing with somebody competent. So getting the apartments finished was a whole nother nightmare that, that didn't go well. So you're supposed to move in on August 1st. When did you actually end up moving in? So his memory serves probably October 1st. And in my defense, I, I probably moved in to the nicest apartment in the building because <laughs> while I didn't pay any attention in the beginning as I should have, after after July 15th, I was paying intense attention. And, and uh, I don't want to say I threatened the man, but... <laughs> but but I was an intimidating process, uh, presence in his office on, on a regular basis. So I think my place got more attention than most. But the other thing is that he made a critical mistake. I made a lot of mistakes in, in this journey, but YP made a critical mistake at one point. And I think out of his desperation to get these things closed so he could get that money from the bank, uh, he let me move in before we closed and before the apartment was fully done. So now I'm living in this place and it was, you know, it was essentially done. I had a checklist of things that that needed to be finished and fine-tuned, but it was perfectly livable. Now I'm in it. I don't actually own it because we haven't closed. I'm not paying any rent, so I'm living rent and mortgage-free. So I am. Uh, I am suddenly went from being in a very bad position to being in a in a very good position, and I would refuse to close until they completed this checklist that I had. And YP would keep saying, "Well, I've got you know, we'll complete it. And let's set up a closing day." And I'd say, "Okay, let's do that." And they'd finish a couple of things on my list. Closing day would come, and I'd cancel it because the list wasn't completed. And of course, that made him crazy. That made his lawyer crazy. That actually made my lawyer, who I had engaged, <laughs> crazy. But my lawyer, Wayne, had said to me when when I was so outraged and trying to get out of this deal, because the contract had said if it wasn't finished by a certain time that he was obligated to refund my money. And of course, he just 
refused to honor the contract. And my lawyer, Wayne, pointed out that there was no real practical way to enforce that because of the costs of litigation that it would take. So uh, when YP said, you don't like it, sue me, I, he knew my hands were tied. Well, <laughs> when Wayne was saying to me, you know, JL, you have to close. I mean, the law says that when essentially it's done and you're just down to a checklist, you have to close. You can't keep canceling these 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 closings like you're doing. And you can imagine what I said to Wayne. I said, let him sue me. <laughs> okay, so I am listening to this and I'm thinking a lot of things. First of all, I poor Wayne. I can completely understand what Wayne is thinking. And YP, I don't feel at all bad for him because I've dealt with YP many times. And, you know, sorry, you should have honored your obligations in the beginning. Um, back to the beginning when you said you weren't checking in on things. I don't know if anybody else's condo units were getting worked on at all, but the squeaky wheel gets the grease. And if you're not there checking on your stuff, they're not going to work on it at all. Were they working on anybody else's unit? I, I think they were, but probably not as diligently as on mine because I <laughs> I was the, the squeaky, the squeakiest possible wheel. But again, he had a very small crew to do the work because he never intended to do the work. That wasn't that wasn't his strategy. He was just gonna keep reselling these things, I guess forever because he like everybody at the time believed that real estate could only go up and that they would only be more valuable six months from now than they were at that particular point by the way i absolutely agree with you i have no sympathy for yp uh he eventually uh, fled the country actually he went went back to his home country and and uh he just left the bank holding the bag and and they auctioned off the remaining apartments, which, by the way, went for about half what I paid for mine. Uh, of course. To give you an idea of, of that's just kind of the beginning of the disaster that this. this what, what, what did you pay for yours? So I put down five thousand dollars and you, you have to inflation adjust this to make it to make it significant, of course. Uh, and in the book, I do that. My memory's not good enough to to do it for you in, in our interview here. But I put $5,000 down on a $45,000 condo. The base condo was 40 grand and I took all the options which added 5,000 to it. So uh, yeah, and then when they went at auction, and of course they didn't have the options because they weren't the, the condos that got auctioned off were not finished. Uh, they were in various states of, of progress, right? So, so some of them were just shells. Some of them were, I guess, pretty far along. Uh, but they went for twenty, twenty-four thousand dollars at auction, and there were about half the building. And, and was, was this were these um, luxury condos, like really, like pretty nice, in a pretty nice place? You know, I they, I wouldn't, I don't know that I would. I guess today, and with the with the hype around everything's luxury, right? So I guess, I guess somebody <laughs> selling it today would have called it a luxury condo. It was, mine was actually when it was finally done was a very nice nice place, a nice space. It was a one bedroom, one bath. It wasn't. I don't remember how big it was. It wasn't terribly big. Probably seven hundred, eight hundred square feet, something like that. Um, but yeah, it was very, it was nice, nicely finished. And as I say, I took all the options and, and it did turn out to be, uh, a new, basically a new apartment in a charming old building. Uh, so the project had the potential to be a really nice 
and and I think ultimately it became a nice building as the owners themselves took over and finished their apartments. And then, of course, the common areas of the building were not finished when when he uh, fled and left everybody holding the bag. So that required special assessments on all the owners to raise the money to finish the common areas. So. <laughs> Okay, I want to jump in here again and say to those of you who are listening, who are thinking, oh, I want to get into real estate. Listen to Jim's story. He said condos were going up month after month. Prices were just continuing to go up. That's where we are right now in much of the world. Or I'm sorry, much of the United States. There are some markets where this isn't the case, but in most markets, we are seeing exponential growth month over month. What are we in Denver? It's been like 27% growth over the last, uh, or price increase over the last 18 months or 12 months or something like that. Mm -hmm. And we just had a fire that has taken out a thousand houses in two cities just south of me um, that is going to affect the real estate market for years to come because that was a thousand single family homes. Like the market is marching north, but that doesn't mean that it will always go up. I mean, listen to Jim's story. The market is, you know, real estate only goes up. May I remind you, 2008, 2009, 10, 11, 12, the market can go down. And this, uh, I wanted to have you on the show to share your story about how you don't always make money in real estate because bigger pockets can be really, really good at encouraging you to do these things. But we also try to encourage you to run your numbers and, you know, invest or buy like you're buying an investment. And it sounds like you bought because Steve told you to, which is, you know, I bought because I wanted to and Scott bought because Brandon told him to. And, you know, you don't just buy a house because you feel like you should get into real estate. You buy a house to... I was going to say you buy a house because it's a good investment, but it's not an investment and it could be an investment. I mean, my houses are investments, but that's because I buy the worst dump on the planet. I bought those condos that were not done um, and I forced the appreciation, but I don't know where I was going with this. Like, There's a lot of parallels with this market that you are in and the market that we're in right now. Yeah, it feels that way. Now, of course, we don't know for sure where the market we're in right now is going. I mean, it could continue to go up. And as you mentioned, in in Colorado, where you are, and I happened to be in Colorado when that fire took place. I was in Golden, which is just south of there. Oh. Um, what a tragedy. And so, I mean, there are that's that's a, there are factors like that that are driving up the prices in at least in Colorado. And as we travel around the country, I mean, I hear it everywhere we've gone, how how prices are going up. And we are in an inflationary economy. So I, you know, I don't know where this market is going. The same thing I say when I talk about the stock market, I have no idea what the stock market is going to do next. I do know that the stock market plunges periodically. That's a natural part of it. And real estate plunges periodically. That's a natural part of the process. Uh, you mentioned 2008, the time I'm describing, which was in in the beginning of the 1980s, are, are both cases of, of that happening. Uh, I wouldn't, by the way, lay all the blame of my, of my tragic story at, at the feet of my buddy Steve, uh, although he was the one who lured me in this particular building. But everybody 
at the time, and I mean everybody was saying you have to buy real estate, especially if you're young and single and you were renting and, you know, renting is throwing you all the same stuff that I that I hear today. And so it was an environment that I let myself get swept up in. And I was young and naive and I didn't step back and say, wait a second, is is this right for me? Setting aside anything macro, because I don't think anybody, much less, much less I could have predicted that the market was about to plunge. Uh, in 1979. But I, what I could have done is step back and said, wait a second, is this really the right thing for me to do? Does it really make economic sense to give up an apartment that I was that I liked, that I was enjoying, that I was paying $160 a month for? And again, remember, you got to adjust the stuff for inflation and move into a condo that was going to cost me $270 a month in mortgage and assessments and everything. And by the way, of course, I had no way of knowing this at the time. It wound up being $570 a month which with all the special assessments and everything that came later. But so clearly, is that a good economic decision? Setting aside the fact there was no appreciation. In fact, as we talked about earlier, they went at auction at half what I paid. But does it make any economic sense to give up $160 a part a month, dollar a month apartment that you like, that you enjoy, to go into a condo that is going to cost you for sure $370 and actually turned out to be $570. Clearly, the answer to that is no, that's not a good economic decision to have made. And then I would have sat back and said, well, does the condo offer me a a lifestyle that is worth all that extra money to me? And the answer there would, yeah, it was nicer than my apartment, but I didn't care about that. It wasn't that much nicer. I much would have preferred to have that extra money each month to invest. Um, so I think those are the kinds of mistakes I made, just some of them. <laughs> the, the book is filled with many more. But those are the <laughs> kinds of things I would suggest that anybody looking in this environment asks themselves, you know, so, and, and yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So, so we're in this spot now where you've got this con, you, you've got this condo, you're, you're, you've already given us a sneak peek that there's special assessments that are coming down the road, in addition to it being worth half what you paid for shortly after you, you close in the deal. Right. What, what, what's the next phase of the, the journey? Is our, is our story over uh, at this point? I want to jump in here before Jim answers sure. and say, I have never owned a condo that didn't have a special assessment. Never. In my whole life that I've owned condos, I've never not had a special assessment. Okay, Jim, what's your next story? Well, let me let me address that for first, Mindy, and then I'll then I'll go back to if I can remember Scott's question, I'll go back to it. <laughs> but you know, I've 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 owned uh, uh, at the same time I bought a condo for my mother in Florida, and the only condos that don't have special assessments that I'm aware of are ones that have very large regular assessments, and then they they create a pool of money for when those big things happen. And the condo that I had bought for my mother was, you know, she was retired and it was filled with retired people and they tend to have cash on hand. So they wanted the smallest possible assessment monthly to cover their basic expenses. 
And then every now and again, if they if they needed a new roof or they wanted to repave the parking lot or something like that, I'd get a notice saying, oh, we're going to repave the parking lot. And the, there's a special assessment of $5,000 and it's due in two weeks. Well, you know, when you're old and retired, then maybe that's not a big deal. When you're young, like I like I was at the time, coming up with five grand in the spur of the moment was a whole other frame of reference. Uh, I'm sorry, Scott. Real briefly, your question was. Well, well, not, well, well I was just going to ask you to continue the story and tell us what happens next. Now oh. that you've got this this place and 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 it's worth half what you paid for. You're getting special assessments. Like, let's keep. Like, what what happens next? Yeah. Well, so what happens in the immediate future is now I'm living in this thing, and in pretty short order, I'm paying five hundred and seventy dollars a month for the privilege of living in this thing. And uh, and I'm just licking my wounds. And as long as I don't sell it, you know, I've got a forty thousand dollar mortgage. So if I can only sell it for say twenty five thousand dollars, I've I mean I've got to come up with fifteen thousand just to get out from under it. And uh, in the meantime, I'm I'm dating the woman who is about to become my wife, and and we decide that we're going to need a bigger place than this when we get married. So I went off and bought a two flat in Chicago. Two flats a term for a for a uh, uh, what? What do you call it out in Colorado? It's a two family house, basically. And uh, which, by the way, I did much better on because at least as painful as as this first purchase was, it did teach me. It, it was a very expensive education, but I did learn. So the two flat wound up pretty pretty good. But when we moved to that. Uh, then I'm left with the with the conundrum of what to do with this with this condo, and as I say, to sell it would mean taking not only a huge loss but coming up with fifteen grand to satisfy the bank, which I didn't want to do. Um, so I wound up renting it, and I wound up renting it to a wonderful woman. I I actually forget how we found each other, but she was a terrific tenant. She paid her rent on time. She took impeccable care of the place. And then when she left after a couple of years, she actually found the next tenant for me who was equally wonderful. Um, but the problem with that was I could only rent it for $375. And meanwhile, it's costing me $570. So it's hemorrhaging about $200 a month just to hang on to it. So that's the second part of the of the the incredible loss that this thing represented. And, and, then, and how long does that continue for? How long how long are you losing money on this property from a rental perspective? So, well so so that continue, <laughs> that continues for about five or six years. Oh my gosh. But it gets worse. <laughs> Be, because as I say, my first tenant was kind enough to find my second tenant. And my second, she was the second tenant was kind enough to find me a third tenant. It was also, so I, I was, the one bright spot in this thing is I was very lucky with the with the ease of finding tenants and the caliber of tenants that, that they were. You know, they all took great care of the place. They paid their rent, exactly what you want in a tenant. Well, my third tenant, at what a terrible woman she was, didn't find me the fourth tenant. <laughs> now, of course, anybody who has rental real estate realizes that your tenant has no obligation to do this, and she certainly didn't have any obligation. But and then it was it was unrentable. 
I, 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 I began to realize how terribly lucky I'd been in not only finding good tenants, but finding tenants at all. So suddenly, and now, by the way, I have since moved away from Chicago. So I'm doing this long distance. And now I'm not hemorrhaging $200 a month. I'm hemorrhaging $570 a month. And that went on for about 18 months. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Becoming a Navy Federal Credit Union member could help you earn more and save more. Take advantage of competitive rates with their certificate options or start saving for that next big money milestone with a low minimum deposit. Add money at any time and watch your savings grow. Thanks to flexible terms, you can use Navy Federal's savings options for all kinds of goals, short or long term. Considering a big home improvement project, maybe a live-in flip, or feeling ready to consolidate some of that high-interest credit card debt, you could borrow up to 100% of your home's equity with a fixed-rate home equity loan with zero closing costs, or easily borrow as you go with a home equity line of credit. Both options could help make life's big expenses much more manageable. To learn more, visit NavyFederal.org. At Navy Federal, members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, equal housing lender. Membership required. Terms and conditions apply. Loans subject to approval. The dream of owning a vacation home can be daunting. From finding the best guests, to the maintenance, to organizing the cleaners after every guest stay. With Vacasa, they make that dream into a reality. As a full-service vacation home management company with vacation homes in key destinations across the U.S., they know a thing or two about how to make owning a vacation home easy and profitable. On top of proactive property maintenance visits by professional local teams, a hospitality-driven booking platform, and around-the-clock support, Vacasa earns homeowners an average of 20% more revenue from their vacation homes. Vacasa is always thinking of ways to simplify the vacation homeowning experience by putting your home to work for you. If you're looking to make more from your vacation home, work with a reliable property manager, and finally have peace of mind, partner with Vacasa at vacasa.com backslash biggerpockets. That's vacasa.com backslash biggerpockets. You're busy building your retirement accounts and emergency reserve, but what about life insurance? Getting life insurance today means you'll have peace of mind so that if something were to happen to you, your family can cover expenses while getting back on their feet. The best time to get a policy? Now, since life insurance rates typically increase as you get older. But don't worry, with Policy Genius, you can compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks. Already have a policy through work? It may not offer enough protection. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Their award-winning agents work for you to find the policy that best fits your needs. Save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Deciding how to invest your capital can be extremely challenging, especially when the market is constantly changing. That's why it's never been more important to partner with a company that has a great track record. The BAM Capital executive team has successfully navigated through the Great Recession, COVID-19, and the current interest rate environment while delivering maximized returns to their partners. 
BAM Capital is a trusted multifamily syndicator with over $1.3 billion in transactions, delivering a historical average of over 35% IRR with an average hold period of three and a half years. BAM Capital has consistently paid preferred return distributions for over 50 consecutive months, has not lost limited partners capital, and has not called capital past the subscription amount. BAM Capital's disciplined investment strategy is targeting undermanaged institutional quality trophy assets throughout the U.S. heartland for accredited investors who are looking for generational wealth building or monthly income opportunities. Their offerings target cash flow stability, capital preservation, long-term appreciation, and accelerated tax benefits. Join BAM Capital's over 1,200 investors across 44 states and get started today at BAMCapital.com. Again, that's BAMCapital.com. Okay, so what year is it? What year is it at the end of this 18 months? And so we're, and, you know, we're, in, lost, we're stacking up to thousands or tens. Of, we, got, we lost $25,000 just in the value day one or in the first right. year or two. Right. We've also lost $200 a month for <laughs> for three to five years. And now we're losing $570. So we're, we're in the $20,000, $30,000, $50,000 loss range at this point. Well, and that's before you account for inflation. So it's actually, if you look at it at today's <laughs> dollars, it's much, much worse. And I, I again, my memory isn't good enough to, to do that count. Calculation, but but in today's dollars, the the total loss was was well into six figures, and uh, uh, and then I also do a calculation in the book where what if I just taken this money and and invested it in in the S and P five hundred, and that's really depressing because that <laughs> that amounts up over to over a million dollars. So oh, it's wow. not just the actual. It's it's not just the actual cash lost, it's also the opportunity cost lost. But in any event, uh, so now I'm sitting on this thing that I can't rent. I also can't sell. The market was so bad for condos, I couldn't get a realtor to take the listing. Now, think about that for a second, because for a realtor to take the listing requires no effort on their part. They can just take the listing, sit on it, and if the thing happens to sell by some magic, they can collect a commission. I couldn't even get a realtor to do that. That's how how bad the market was at at the time. So I'm stuck with this thing that I, for whatever reason, can't find a tenant for. And what year are we in right now? We're in 85, 86. Okay. Yeah, somewhere in that time frame. So okay, keep, keep going. So, so you're not you're not able to get a listing. What what do you do now? Well, so now I now I I, I just suffer. I mean, for as I say, for about eighteen months uh, of of no tenant, and of course I'm trying to find a tenant, but when you're trying to do this long distance, it's it's kind of difficult. Um, so finally, what what finally brought my pain? Are you ready to hear how my pain ends? Or, or at least before the IRS gets involved, how the pain, <laughs> how the pain did it burn ended. down, and you didn't have any insurance? Yeah, well, no, no, no. The the there's a whole other thing with the IRS, but so finally, out of the blue, one of the good things to come out of this is that when I was still living in it, and YP had had fled the scene, and and we were the the owners of this building were brought together in the way that only adversity can bring people together right so we knew each other pretty well we worked hard together to to get the common areas finished for instance and 
and to come up with these special assessments that, you know, we all imposed upon ourselves uh, to get the building in order. And anyway, so I, I we'd become friends and the, and I shamefully, I forget this guy's name, but he had become the president of the condo association and a good guy. And, and one day out of the blue, he calls me up and he, he says, I have somebody who might be interested in buying your condo. Uh, and of course, this is, this is, this is, I can't tell you what wonderful news this is. Right? <laughs> it's like, it's like somebody calling you up and saying, I have somebody who has a pile of gold gold bars they don't quite know what to do with, and they want to give them to you. I mean, the, the news could not have been any, any better than that. And and uh, he, he said, you know, she uh, uh, the woman who's interested uh, her her boyfriend lives in the building, and and your apartment actually is adjacent to his apartment. So not only does she want to be in the building, but as it happens, my my unit was was the most ideal for for her purposes. So anyway, I immediately arranged a business trip to Chicago so I could I could meet with her. And uh, of course, I was hoping that she was naive and silly, and I could take advantage of her. And she wasn't any of those things. She was sharp and smart and a lawyer, in fact. So, but she did want the apartment. And so she's looking at it, and and uh, at one point she says, "So how much do you want for it?" And of course, I'm I'm mentally doing the calculation. I'm saying, "Well, you know, I paid forty five thousand dollars for it back in seventy nine. I realize, and talk about understatement, I realize that the condo market hasn't gone up much since then." <laughs> yeah, you know, Mindy, she was nicer than you. She didn't burst out laughing in my face, <laughs> although she would have been justified. And I said, so, I, you know, I, I realize the market hasn't gone up much since then, but, you know, I, I might be willing to take what I paid for at 45000 And without batting an eye, she looked at me and she said, I'll give you thirty. Now, at this point, 30 is is like manna from heaven. I mean, at this point, I know that this woman and I are going to do a deal. The only, <laughs> the only question is, how can I get out from under this? With, of course, I still basically owe the bank 40 grand, the 40 grand I borrowed, because, as you know, most of your payments in the early years are interest. It might have been down to thirty nine grand or something. But anyway, the, in my mind, I owe the bank forty grand. So we go back and forth a little bit. And she agrees to buy it for forty thousand dollars. So, I, wow. at that point, you say you say to yourself, "Oh, you did you did for the great tragedy this is, you know, you only ultimately lost five thousand dollars." And of course, that doesn't count all the money that hemorrhaged out over the six years that I held on to it, which I do in the book Total Up, by the way. But so that's the deal that we struck. And that allowed me to get out from under it without having to come up with extra money for the bank. Um, but as I say, that's before the IRS, <laughs> before I had to pay tax on my capital gain. 
Don't you want to know how you pay tax on a capital? The story doesn't end here, huh? All right. Yeah, yeah. Wait a second. If you sold it for less than you bought it for, I'm not a tax expert, but that sounds like a capital loss. Yeah, well, that's what I thought. (laughs) But the the IRS explained to me that both you and I are wrong about that, Mindy. (laughs) So... So in in those days, I don't think this is true anymore. I know when you own a rental because, you know, while I bought this thing to to live in it, I converted it to a rental and I began writing off the expenses involved with it, including depreciating it. And in those days, you could do something called accelerated depreciation, which basically meant that instead of depreciating it over 30 years or whatever it was, you could say this thing's wearing out faster than normal and therefore I'm going to depreciate it over some shorter period. I forget what that period is, but it allowed you to take a bigger uh, a bigger deduction for depreciation. And of course, because I'm hemorrhaging so much cash in this thing, I am grasping at straws, anything to make the pain a little less. But when you take depreciation, as I'm sure you and many of your listener, listeners know, that reduces your cost basis in an equivalent amount for when you ultimately sell it. So the depreciation I'd taken over those five, six years had taken my cost basis from $45,000 down to $25,000. So the IRS said, yeah, you lost $5,000. You sold it for four, you bought it for 45. You sold it for forty. You lost five thousand dollars, but you depreciated it, and therefore your cost basis is now forty-five thousand. It's twenty-five thousand, and you sold it for forty thousand. So that's a capital gain of fifteen thousand dollars, and we want our cut. <laughs> so that was the final final bit of pain and injury and insult in the process. <laughs> that's phenomenal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm so laughing now, but it's taken me 40 years to see the humor. <laughs> oh so it doesn't gosh. sound like adjusted for inflation, you lost six figures. It sounds like you lost six figures in the 80s, too. <laughs> you know, it was, it was, it was, it was, I don't know that it was that close. I, I was probably, you know, 40, 50, 60 grand. Uh, in in those yeah. dollars, and and you know, as I say, I, I run the numbers in the book, and it's it's uh, comfortably into six figures when you take inflation into account for today. So, I run. In fact, I actually do a chart in the book. Um, I don't have a copy of the book with me, or I'd look it up. I do a chart taking all the numbers that I mention in the book because I I mention the the numbers as they were at the time. And I calculate what they would be in inflation-adjusted numbers. So people, if they're curious, can go and look and say, well, $160 a month for an apartment is stupid cheap. And, of course, that was, even then, it was it was a good deal. But you can look at what the equivalent would be today for that apartment. So, so what, what would you, if you could go back and kind of think it through, what, what would you do instead of, of, of uh of this purchase and and the whole journey that we just that un, unpacked here in great detail. Oh, Scott, I would have gotten I would have gotten a a, a pack of about a forty thousand dollar bills, and I 
would have sat outside and lit them on fire one at a time. And it would have been less painful and more entertaining. No, I, I, I think, well, first of all, when, when YP, when, when my apartment was, uh, when I first went to look at it in July and he offered me my money back, I should have grabbed that with both hands because he didn't realize that the the market had turned on him, and I had been a very, an excellent tenant for the apartment where I was renting for a number of years, and my landlords loved me, and I could have easily gone back and said, "Hey, I want to continue renting," and they would have been happy to let me stay in my hundred and sixty dollar apartment. But moreover, even going back before that, when my buddy Steve was so excited about buying a place for himself and the world around him and around me was all saying, you got to buy real estate, you got to buy real estate. I should have taken a step back and said, well, is this really right for me? Is this really something that I want? And the answer to that question even then would have been no. I mean, I was perfectly content in my apartment, even if things had gone swimmingly with the condo it would have been considerably less expensive uh, to continue to live in the apartment. So, yeah, I, I wish I had had the wisdom not to get swept up in the uh, in the mania, you know, in the common wisdom that you have to buy. What about what about um, once you are in you're in the deal, you got it and you got to deal with it. Anything you would have changed following um, the purchase once you once you had the property? Um, we're already in the hole. And from, from that point on. Yeah. You know, I'm not sure that I, that there was anything I could do other than what I did. I mean, I, I think I made most of my mistakes in the beginning. Uh, but once I'd closed on the thing, you know, the die was kind of cast and you have to, you have to live with your decision, right? That's another important lesson, I guess, to come out of this is that once you close on the property and you own it, you have to live with that decision. And if if it turns out to be a good decision and it keeps appreciating, or it's the place you really want to live and you enjoy it, even if it costs more than where you were before, or if it's a rental and you've done your homework and it's positive cash flow and doing well, then those are all good things. But, but even if you make a colossal blunder like I did, you own it. And at that point, you just have to figure out how to deal with it. And in my case, I had to keep digging into my own pocket to to make up the shortfall between, uh, well, between what I'd been running for initially and what the 570 bucks a month this thing was now costing me, which was more than I had figured on because I didn't count on the special assessments. But I just had to, had to dig deeper in my own pocket. And then when I rented it, I had to keep digging into my own pocket to make up the difference between what I owed the bank and my assessments and what I was able to get in rent. By the way, that's another great lesson that I would caution anybody listening to this who's not familiar. Landlords don't get to set the rent. Uh, you know, I hear all the time that, well, of course, of course, uh, owning is better than renting because if you're renting, you're, you're paying all of the owner's costs plus a profit to that owner. Well, sometimes, if if the guy you're renting from, if the person you're renting from is has done their homework and done a good job, that will be true. But that's not always true. There are a lot of people like me that get forced into renting places that back into it. 
where your rent's a screaming bargain compared to what is what it actually costs. So the landlord doesn't set the rent. The market sets the rent. I, If I'd been able to set the rent, I would have set it for $650 a month. But, <laughs> you know, I'm not, I'm, I don't have that option. You, the, the, the market sets what the rent's going to be. And if you've done your homework as an investor well, you know what the market is going to set that rent at and what you're considering buying. And you make sure that you buy it in such a fashion that that rent that the market is setting for you is profitable. If you do stupid things like I did, you wind up owning something that is far more expensive than than what the market's uh, allowing it to rent for. Now, I think it's super valuable perspective, and I love that you're like, "Hey, the answer the answer uh, to all of this is live with the decision once you've made it." it and, and really, all of these factors downstream, no matter how good you got eventually at managing that property and making the decisions that you could to optimize from there, there was just really not much you could do to change the situation. It was determined by the market and you had to live with it for as long as it took to get out from under it. Yeah, um, exa- exactly. And, and you know, and you also don't get to decide when to get out from under it in all the cases. As I say, I couldn't even get a, a, a an agent to take the listing. That's how hard it was to sell this thing. So I had to just kind of suffer through it until finally the right buyer happened to walk in my door. And thankfully, uh, you know, the president of the association who she reached out to, uh, you know, he and I had stayed in touch and he knew that I was, I was going to say interested in selling, (laughs) desperately probably (laughs) a better word. Um, So, yeah, I mean, it, it, pays to sort of keep all your doors open, I suppose. But yeah, you, you know, so, and that's, once you, once you own it, you have to live with it for better or worse. And there's the compelling case for not doing what I did and and rather going into it with your eyes wide open and having done your due diligence and your homework before you sign on the dotted line. If if you'd held on to it for another 10 years, what do you think would have happened? You know, I I don't think it it was so deep underwater that I'm not sure 10 years would have done it. If I'd held on to it until now, maybe it would have turned out okay. (laughs) And it depends, Scott, on whether I'm holding on to it as as an investment property or as something to live in. You know, if it had suited my living needs for a longer period of time, then, you know, it would have just been an expensive place to, to live in. And... Could, could you have bought a, another property in, in Chicago around that time and done much better on it if you'd been kind of looking at it from an investment mindset? Well, not only could I, I did. That was the two flat that I bought. Okay. So I bought the two flat, I want to say, in 81, a couple of years later. And, the, you know, the good news, such as it is, uh, is that <laughs> this was a real education. This condo was a real education. So when I decided that I was going to buy the two flat, I, I was a a much older and wiser uh, real estate buyer at that point, and I did a whole lot more due diligence. I was a whole lot more savvy in how I in how I approached it, and that that deal turned out pretty well. Uh, in fact, it turned out very well. The only mistake I made with that one is I should have held on to it a little bit longer. 
but again, by then I had I had moved out of Chicago and I didn't like I was not comfortable being a long distance landlord, even though on the two flat it was cash flow positive. And in fact, if I look at it holistically, now that I when I once I own the two flat and I own the condo simultaneously, the two flat was positive enough that that it was it was paying for the losses on the condo. So I didn't have to dig into my pocket in the same way that I did before that. But of course, that also means that instead of the two flat adding money to my pocket, it was just, you know, making up for the mistake, for the the massive mistake the condo represented. Well, well, what I love about that is that we were, you know, we started off this with the the circumstances of the market and how how eerily similar they are, and then the disaster that you just went that that right. that that was this condo purchase. But we're hearing that even in a tough market like that, um, with your with your kind of savvy purchase and the, on the the two flat, you were able to um, generate cash flow and and and, and achieve um, value creation over over your hold period with that. Yeah, and it was you know it was a. By then, the the market had cooled quite a bit. But as we talked about at the very beginning of our conversation, this was a period of very high inflation. And what's interesting about that, I don't know, I don't tell the two flat story in the in this book, but uh, I actually bought that for no money down. And uh, I did that by g- getting a mortgage from the bank for, let me testing my memory, I think for 75% of the uh, of the purchase price and interest rates in those days i think my mortgage was like 16 17% and then yep. i i negotiated a deal with the seller for the other 40,000 or the other 25% or whatever it was uh for i want to say 7%. So i wound up with a a a blended interest rate if you will of around 13% which of course sounds horrific to anybody listening today, but at the time was a very, very attractive interest rate. And uh, yeah. Now the mistake I made on that one, by the way, is I had read this book called Nothing Down about buying real estate with nothing down. And I thought, well, that's a pretty cool idea. And I made that my goal and I accomplished that goal and it turned out to be pretty profitable overall. But the mistake there was that's the wrong goal. You know, at least in my opinion, you should never go into buying real estate as an example with your goal being, I'm going to buy this with nothing down unless you have no money. Uh, I had money to put down. And in fact, I could have done a better, more profitable deal by putting money down. And that should have been the goal should have been, I want to buy this piece of real estate in the most advantageous possible way for me with the resources I have. And in my case, I had resources to put money down. I had the knowledge to do it without putting money down. And I should have looked at those two options. And if I'd done that, I would have, I would have, for a variety of reasons, I would have put money down. But, but, uh, but anyway, both of those options were far better than the, than the condo. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, well, and we've talked about the money that you lost and the, the uh, you know, this has been kind of a lighthearted ta- retelling of this story, but we didn't really get into the stress that you, this was a, a very stressful time, I'm assuming. It was very stressful for me to, uh, when I first read the book, I was reading <laughs> through, I'm like, this is my condo in Chicago. And I remember just 
we would have these meetings and it was so stressful. And you look back at it now and you're like, well, that was, that was like a $10,000 problem. And that's, but at the time, $10,000 was a lot of money. At the time, $40,000 was a lot of money. Losing $150 a month or $300 a month or $570 a month was a lot of money that you had to come out of your pocket. And you're not thinking at the time, oh, well, my other property is making up for it, so everything's okay. You're thinking to yourself, I have to write another darn check for $570 to the bank every single month. And this is, you know, I could have been renting for $160. Like, we don't talk about the stress and the sleeplessness and the anxiety that you're feeling for, and this was for six years that you had this. I mean, did you ever think one time, yay, hooray, well, real estate's awesome. When I, well, yeah, when I sold it. And before, I realized, from heaven. and before I realized what the IRS would have to say about it, I would say yay. <laughs> the IRS sort of took the, the yay away. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm laughing about this with I great their motto. Yeah. I mean, you know, at this point, I, you know, <laughs> with 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 a distance of 40 years, I can see the humor in it. And I've gotten a book out of it. So, uh, you know, there there is the upside. But at the time, this was I would not have been able to chuckle for this as we're doing it uh, at the time. I mean, I, I, I would not have been able to see the humor. And it was I don't I don't remember feeling stressed. I remember feeling extraordinarily aggravated. And it is, you know, the other reason that I bought a condo is I bought into this concept that, you know, if you buy a condo, it's worry-free. You don't have to mow the lawn. Well, that's true. I never, in the entire time I owned the condo, I never once mowed the lawn. What I didn't count on was the endless meetings with lawyers and the endless battles with YP before he before he fled, and then the endless conversations with the other owners trying to figure out how we were going to fix this, how we were going to how we were going to finish the common areas that had been left undone, and how we were going to raise the funds for that. And, and so, you know, I never had to fix the plumbing or, or mow the lawn or shovel the snow, but there was endless work involved in owning this thing. Uh, so endless aggra- I think I think they, I think Mindy, they, they, it comes down to there was so much aggravation. I didn't feel the stress. The aggravation <laughs> just overwhelmed the stress <laughs> and the work. <laughs> so, yeah, it was an enormous amount of work and effort. And again, as I say, the good news is that, that was provided a tremendous education, which probably has benefited me uh, and certainly benefited me with the next real estate purchase. But, but uh, yeah, but there, there, there was lots of aggravation and probably lots of underlying stress and certainly, certainly no laughs. (laughs) (laughs) Well, is there anything else that we should, we we should know about this, this experience before we kind of uh, adjourn here? I I think we've covered it pretty thoroughly. I mean, I you know I, I tell the story in uh, in a more coherent fashion in the book, and as I say, the the numbers are, are there if anybody's curious. Not only is the actual numbers and the dollars of the day, but also inflation adjusted. If people want to play with that, but it is a a my subtitle on it is a cautionary tale, and that's what it is. This is not a book telling people 
don't buy a condo or don't buy a house or don't invest in real estate uh, because all those things can be good things. And I have done all of those things and have had them be good things for me as well. It's a cautionary tale into not being impossibly naive in how you approach it and doing your homework. And again, I would applaud you guys on bigger pockets uh, for the educational resource you are to help people not make the kind of mistake that I made. And I like to think that if bigger pockets has been around at the time, I would have been at least smart enough to take a look at it and might have saved myself a whole lot of grief. On the other hand, I wouldn't have a new book out. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I, I definitely encourage um, folks to check check out the book. The book is called, again, How I Lost Money in Real Estate Before It Was fa Fashionable, subtitle, A Cautionary Tale, uh, as you mentioned there. And, and it, it's a it's a wonderful, fun, quick read. Um, I think you, you are able to make light of the situation, you know, looking back on it. And I think you learn a lot about the the mistakes that can lead to enormous piling up losses in real estate. And, and for me, for one, coming out reading the book, I felt actually better about my real estate investing and the way I approach it um, from reading it, because it is good to hear that you can lose money from all this stuff, but, you know, feeling like, Hey, I, okay, I, I've actually, I've, I've, I'm prepared a little bit more prepared than maybe Jim was uh, going into this purchase. Uh, over this condo this and, and, you know, I'm not that stupid. Yeah. There's the, there's the, you know, I'm, I'm, I got, the, I have these concepts around cash flow, So I, I think it was really helpful to kind of, to, to kind of get that view. And it was a, a fun read and, and, and reinforced a lot of the core beliefs I have around really self-educating around this, knowing the numbers and running them before buying real estate. You know, I'm, I, I appreciate that take, Scott, because that's that's exactly how I wrote it. It's, it's a very short book. It's meant to be a very entertaining, fun read. It is meant to have a serious message underlying it that here's a, a classic example of, of lots of things that can go wrong if you're if you're not careful. I mean, it's it almost reads like like fiction because so many things go wrong, but everything in it is is absolutely true. The other thing I'll throw out is it's filled with wonderful illustrations, and I can call them wonderful because I didn't do them. I but I, I found a just a terrific illustrator who 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 I think is just spot on with with the illustrations that go along with the story. So. Um, it's, it's, I think it's a feast for the eyes and, and, uh, and hopefully it's a fun read as it was for you. And, uh, and then, yeah, it's, it's worth hopefully being a cautionary tale for those who need a cautionary tale. Certainly I would hand it to anybody before they go out and buy something. Absolutely. A feast for the eyes of the reader, but a famine for, uh, Jim Collins. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I've recovered since, but it was it was nip and tuck there for a while. <laughs> yeah, if you're thinking about buying real estate, you should read this book. And if this book can scare you out of buying real estate, then choose another investment vehicle because this book is not even close to the worst thing that can happen to you in real estate. <laughs> I'm bored by dear that. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't even have a tenant that trashed your whole house, did you? No, I, yeah, you know, and that's actually, that's Mindy's a great point because when I was investing in real estate back in the day, when you're, and especially this is before the internet, I don't know if it's still true because I no longer invest in real estate, but uh, back in the day when you invest in real estate, you wound up getting to know other real estate investors because you tend to, you know, and all of a sudden it occurred to me that 
I was the only real estate investor that I knew who didn't have a tenant horror story, who didn't have a story of a tenant trashing their place. I was the only one, and I knew quite a few at that point in Chicago. And it suddenly occurred to me that it wasn't that I was smarter than all these other people, because clearly I wasn't. It's just that my time in the barrel hadn't come. I'd just been lucky. And I, in hearing their stories, I thought, you know, I don't want to deal with this. And this, that's why I got out of real estate investing. It actually made me money. This was a bad start to it, but overall it made me money. But I, it just felt like too much work. And ultimately with the bad tenant thing, too much risk that I just didn't want to deal with. But that's me. You know, I mean, people, as you well know, people have made fortunes in real estate if you go in with your eyes wide open and having done your homework. Um, so there you go. That's the best way to invest by being prepared and doing your homework. And what do you say, Scott? 150 to 250 hours of uh, research before you start investing? I think that's the starting point. That's the minimum of the price to pay before getting into real yeah. estate investing. Where were you in 1979 yeah. when I needed you? <laughs> oh, that's weird. I, you I blame Josh on that. So. Why didn't you call me up? And... <laughs> that, was a, that was a tough year where for me. God. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, Jim, where can people find the book? Grade. Uh, well, the easiest way to find it, I suppose, is on Amazon. Uh, and the easiest way to get to it on Amazon, actually, is to go to my blog, jlcollinsnh.com. And if you click on it, there's a there's a cover of of how I lost money in real estate before it was fashionable. And then right below that is the cover for Simple Path to Wealth. Click on either of those. It'll take you to Amazon and and uh, you're good to go. Awesome. And you can all, we'll also link to all of that on at the show notes at biggerpockets.com slash money show 285. Um, for anybody that is interested in checking out any of these books, go to Jim's site, go to Amazon or go to the show notes. We'll link there. Jim, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for being 1% of the guests that we have ever had on our show. And thank you for sharing your story of losing money in real estate because we don't do that enough here. So I appreciate taking... Uh, you taking time out of your very busy day of doing nothing all day long to to talk to us. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I I could be out sightseeing. Instead, I'm I'm hanging out with you. Hey, I I appreciate the invitation to come back. It's it's always a pleasure to hang out with both of you in the real world, but also uh, on the podcast. So anytime you you want to have somebody on that you can laugh and and mock. Uh, regarding my real estate uh, condo, I, I'm I'm available. We will certainly awesome. do that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thanks, Jim. Say hi to Jane for me, and we'll talk to you soon. We'll do. Thanks, Take Jim. Care. Bye, bye, guys. Okay, Scott, that was JL Collins. That was a lot of fun. Honestly, when I was reading his book, that was a lot of PTSD because I went through almost the exact same scenario in the same city that J.L. Collins went through. I bought a condo that was supposed to be rehabbed. It wasn't. It wasn't rehabbed correctly. The I think the guy did end up skipping town. Um, just a whole lot of disasters. I did not lose quite as much money as he did, but this was back in uh, 2001 where the market was starting to like climb up. I think I... I think I broke even, but I sold it after a year instead of after seven years of renting it lower. Um, so, but still like all the stress, all the anxiety, all the everything. Uh, I, I, 
like relived it. So, and it, it didn't dampen my spirits for real estate. Obviously, I love real estate. Um, but I want one of the key takeaways that I got from that book is if this story freaks you out, let that like absorb that freak out. Let that freak you out and realize that real estate isn't the right investment vehicle for me at this time. You can explore it again later. Maybe down the road, you'll be in a better position to invest in real estate. Maybe the market will be in a better place for you to jump in. But if this story freaks you out, I want you to let that freak you out and kind of take a step back and learn from it. If it doesn't freak you out, please visit biggerpockets.com and learn, learn, learn. What do you say, Scott? 250 to 500 hours is the starting point for where you need to be uh, doing your investment research before you buy a property. I mean, buying a property and jumping in with both feet, I know you're trying to answer me, Scott, and I'm just on a roll. Let me keep going. Buying a property and jumping in with both feet is going to be the best education possible. Listen to Jim. He just shared his, this really great education he got. But if you can learn those same things without the pain and anxiety, that's better. You don't need to go to school of hard knocks when you can learn from somebody who went there. Yeah, we, we we think we're cheaper at bigger pockets um, than than the education that Jim <laughs> Jim or J L Collins went through here, um, and and probably the same amount of hours uh, <laughs> uh, at the end of the day. So I, I think I think that's it. I think it's I think it's that two hundred and fifty to five hundred hour um, mark is really that kind of that kind of minimum. We mentioned one hundred fifty. You know, some, getting getting up there and really committing the mental. Um, bandwidth to learning about this and absorbing different perspectives and hearing the horror stories, hearing the success stories and going through it, I think will will make a huge difference in, in the odds of success for anybody that wants to get into this. And if you're not willing to pay that price, maybe real estate's not a good investment for you. Yeah. Um, one other thing I want to point out is um, JL Collins got lucky in his story when when he was talking about how um, he had one tenant and that tenant found another tenant for him and that tenant found another tenant for him. My biggest mistake personally as a landlord was I did something very similar to that. I found I did a really dil diligent screening process for two tenants. They split up. They were a couple and she brought in a roommate then who was great um, and everything went well. And then she left and I was left with the roommate. She brought in her boyfriend, right? Everything was great. Then she left that that person, and I'm I now have the boyfriend, and I'm I'm several layers away from my screening process, and this remaining tenant, the boyfriend, several layers removed, caused a tremendous amount of problems and actually ended up getting arrested before I got the property back um, and was able to re-rent it and, and rehab it. And so that it could have been even worse from that. So, and I really, I really encourage it. Don't let the tenants refer, or if, if you let the tenant refer another tenant, that's fine, but go through the screening process and, and check the credit criminal um, an income check and get the, get the, do your reference check if you're going to self-manage on that. Um, cause I didn't and I paid a price for that. So it could have been even worse for him and he could have got a bad tenant or a tenant that trashed the place. Um, thankfully, um, I did not have that problem. Yes. Yes. Real estate is not the right investment vehicle for everyone. And there are so many different ways to invest your money to grow and generate wealth. You don't have to just be stuck on real estate. Even though I love real estate, I've had problems too. I've had co contractor problems. Oh my goodness. That's why my husband and I DIY everything because it's so much easier to just learn how to you know, roof my house and try and find a roofer. Or that's actually one of the things I don't do. But like, it's way easier to learn how to do a new skill than to try and find somebody to do it for you. Yeah. Um, 
What, one last thing here. I would, we would love to hear from, um, I think, a couple of other folks who may have invested in this time period um, in, in the late 70s, early 80s um, in real estate and maybe heard some, had some successes and failures. What, what worked, what didn't? Um, you know, I think there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of, to my mind, overlap between the economic environment that we talked about at the beginning of this podcast and today's economic environment. And I think it would be really valuable to hear a couple of those stories uh, on the show. Ooh, you know, my dad bought a house. My parents bought a house up in Oregon, like the minute before the market crashed. And they ended up owning it for 30 years because they couldn't sell it for the longest time. And that, uh, I don't remember why they ended up eventually selling it. Yeah, I, I think we'd love to hear stories um, from 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 investors in particular, you know, who who, who have those successes or, or failures in that time period. I think that would be really valuable um, as we're as we're thinking about how to navigate the waters ahead. Maybe I'll set my dad up. Maybe we can do a test recording with my dad, and if it works out great, and if not, then we won't air it. Sounds He'll great. He'll be here in a few months. Okay, cool. Well, I'll I'll set him up. I mean, I would have to. This is he's he's not a techie. Uh Okay, uh, Scott, should we get out of here? Let's do it. Okay, before we do, let's just say, let's let's use our new phrase. The IRS takes the yay away. <laughs> <laughs> That's their new motto. So I have a friend named Evan who works there, and I'm gonna set, I'm gonna share that with him. Hey, do you guys need a new motto? Okay, from episode 285 of the Bigger Pockets Money podcast, he is Scott Trench, and I am Mindy Jensen saying, give me a shout, shout. Becoming a Navy Federal Credit Union member could help you earn more and save more. Take advantage of competitive rates with their certificate options or start saving for that next big money milestone with a low minimum deposit. Add money at any time and watch your savings grow. Thanks to flexible terms, you can use Navy Federal's savings options for all kinds of goals, short or long term. Considering a big home improvement project, maybe a live-in flip, or feeling ready to consolidate some of that high-interest credit card debt, you could borrow up to 100% of your home's equity with a fixed-rate home equity loan with zero closing costs, or easily borrow as you go with a home equity line of credit. Both options could help make life's big expenses much more manageable. To learn more, visit NavyFederal.org. At Navy Federal, members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, equal housing lender. Membership required. Terms and conditions apply. Loans subject to approval. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.